Um, for the past two and a half years, I've been preaching through the, the book of Acts. And uh, the, there's been one application that I've just pounded week in and week out. Uh, this, okay, what, so what's the application I pounded? See my witnesses, right? It's just, it's just right there on the screen. The, these words come from Jesus when he promised his disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses. And what God promised the apostles, this he commands to us. That, that we bear witness about him. Now, a witness merely gives testimony to what it is he has seen and heard and experienced. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Just what, what we have seen and heard and experienced in Jesus, we, we simply need to tell others of that. In whatever form that takes, just be telling others of Jesus. It's what he's calling us to do. Now, throughout the book of Acts, it's been interesting. We have seen mostly the apostles giving witness by speaking in front of crowds of people. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, was speaking to thousands. That's 3,000 believed in that day. When Paul was in any of the synagogues where he spoke, whether in city of Antioch or Thessalonica or Corinth or any of the other cities that he went to, he, he spoke to synagogues. And we can figure out these places are similar to ours, around maybe 100 people or so. That's what the synagogues were, just local, small assemblies. When Paul was in Athens, he spoke to the scholars of the Areopagus. It was like, like their weekly lecture, sort of bring all the, the scholars in together. And so, we don't know, maybe there were 30, 50 scholars. We don't know. When Peter spoke his sermon to the Sanhedrin, giving his defense, there were at least 70, because 70 were part of the Sanhedrin, the council, when he spoke. Um, when Peter spoke to the house of Cornelius, Cornelius had gathered all his relatives and close friends. We don't know how many it was, maybe 20, 30, 40 people, maybe, we don't know, all crammed into his house to listen to him. When Paul came to Philippi, he went to the riverside where there was a place of prayer. So Paul was, was showing up where there was a place of prayer, and there were some women there, and so it's a prayer meeting. Um, so five, ten people, ten women, we, we don't know. But rarely do we see the apostles witnessing to individuals. It always seems like they're, they're witnessing to crowds. Now, of course, we know that's not always the case because I think about like Sidney and Antioch. He spoke to the synagogue. They begged him to come back the next Sabbath. And, and he certainly, through the week, had opportunities to speak with people because the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city came there. Um, so he was speaking to the individuals, right? Just so many contacts. People came and followed after him and, and he spoke to them, right? And it is true that the book of Acts really emphasizes group evangelism, right? Where one person speaking to a crowd... And yet, very few of you will have witness to speak to a crowd. Um, now, there may be right, maybe a, a parent's funeral that you might have a chance to speak at, or maybe a, a wedding of a child you might have a chance to speak at, or, or some other sort of events. You know, just kind of very few in your lifetime will you probably have opportunities to, to witness on a, a larger scale. But most of your opportunities, and these are infinite, you're going to have opportunities to speak in a smaller setting, one-on-one conversations that you might have. Well, this morning, as we come to our text, we're going to see Paul being a witness to a smaller setting. So it might encourage you this morning as you say, okay, so I'm witnessing and my witnessing activity is primarily smaller. Well, Paul did that and we get to see a little bit of what he did this morning as he, as he shares the gospel with a married couple, this Felix and Drusilla. And this, all of you have opportunity to do. Whether it's your, your friends, gather a couple friends together, you can talk with them. Whether it's one-on-one, you can have a coffee at Starbucks. Four bucks is like I like to call it, right? Or you can go other different places, or you can have people at your house. You can speak to others 
about the gospel of Christ. So you can marry couples in your home, have them for dessert or dinner or couple, I mean, opportunities really are endless. But here he is, Paul, and um, Paul giving an opportunity to speak with Felix and Drusilla. So if you've not opened yet, you can open to Acts chapter 24. I've not opened there yet, so I'm turning there right now. Acts chapter 24. We're going to look at four verses this morning. Have four verses, have four points. The first two are going to be longer, and then we're going to zip through the last two in case we start going long and you start, oh, so he's only got through two points so far. Eh, bear with me. It'll be good. Acts twenty four twenty four. And after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, the title of my message this morning is, is this, Speak About Faith in Christ Jesus. Speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Comes straight from the text. Look at verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him, here it is, speak about faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to witness, is to speak about faith in Christ Jesus. What are we called to do? We're called to, help me, speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Are you? You think past maybe this past month, have you had a chance to speak with someone who doesn't know Jesus about Christ Jesus? That's, that, that's not everything that Acts is about. Just being bold and being able to speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And, and what I have tried to do as a, as a pastor, I'm very, I'm very secluded. My, you all are my friends. It's difficult to talk to you evangelistically about faith in Christ Jesus. Right? So that's why one of the reasons I play pool I just want to, I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not doing. So a couple weeks ago, and I, I can share more stories. I just try to sprinkle them in so you might have a heart. And, and you can do this at your work, right? You can do this with people in school there. You, you can do this maybe with some friends and neighbors. Like you, create an op- I have to create an opportunity. You don't have to create an opportunity so much. But I was, I was at a pool recently, and, uh, and a, a gentleman was talking with me about another pool player in the league, and this guy has begun to wear a giant cross around his neck. It's probably like about this big or so. And um, I've noticed it. I've not commented to him about it anything. And, and uh, we were playing his team um, just two weeks ago, I think. So, yeah, two weeks ago, Monday, we we're playing his team, and uh, he's a good player in the league. And my, my friend said to him, I didn't know that he was religious. I was like, he's not religious. <laughs> but I didn't say anything. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Um, and then he proceeded to pull out his own little cross that he's got, and he says, yeah, you know what, I mean, I, I wear my cross, but I kind of, you know, kind of just saying, kind of like, I'm, I'm ashamed of it. But he's not. Look how bold he is about his religion. Well, later in the evening, right, I beat the guy. And uh, he doesn't lose very often because he's one of the best players in the league, and he doesn't like to lose. And so as soon as I beat him, he's throwing the balls around, he's kicking the chairs, and he's swearing up and down, and um, I... By the time I was sitting next to my friend and I said, uh, someone who's genuine in their faith doesn't blaspheme God with their mouth when they lose a pool game. And he simply said, no, good point. 
And then I had an opportunity later that evening to talk about how righteousness doesn't come from wearing crosses or going to church at all, but it comes through faith in Christ Jesus. It's what I told them. I said, see, when you believe in Jesus, he died on the cross, rose again for his sins. When you believe that, it's going to change you and transform you so those things won't come out of your mouth. But if they do come out of your mouth, it's just signaling that you may be religious, but you don't know God. So that's what I had a chance to talk with my friend about. I hope someday my friend will believe. But this is what Paul spoke with Felix about and Drusilla about. He spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And this is like the action step through my message today is we all need to be speaking with others about faith in Christ Jesus. So let's, let's open the text here. Verse 24, we see the power couple. Verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. All right, let's, let's just stop there. Here's the power couple, Felix and Drusilla. You know what power couples are, right? They're men and women who have power in their own realm, and they, they marry together and have significantly even more power. So just thinking about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Our power couple today. I'm thinking about Bill and Hillary Clinton are a power couple today. I'm thinking about Jay-Z and Beyonce, the power couple. And I would say, if you just think about those power couples, you're probably thinking pretty accurately upon the ones that Paul, that Paul is speaking to, Felix and Drusilla, because they had it all. They had the world by its tail. First of all, Felix, he was the governor of Judea, appointed in A.D. 52. He wasn't the Roman governor, it wasn't the Roman emperor, right? But he was the governor. So, right, he was like, think of him as like the governor of Illinois. But maybe even, even uh, different a little bit because he was under the governor, but everyone in Illinois answered to him. And everyone in Judea answered to Felix. He was the top dog in the land. A Drusilla had her own status in society. She came from a political family. She was related to all the Herods in the Bible. I, I, I trust that you, you know those, like... Uh, Herod Agrippa I, we read about him in Acts chapter 12, he was her dad. She had this political connection. Her brother was Herod Agrippa II, which we'll read about in chapters 25 and 26. Her grandfather was Herod the Great. We read about him in Matthew chapter 2, and her uncle was Herod Antipas. We read about, read about him in, in Matthew chapter 14. And so Drusilla had a fair bit of political clout, and I would say her character was about consistent with these Herods, right? Herod the Great tried to murder the Messiah, Jesus, by wiping out all these kids in Bethlehem. And um, Herod Antipas cut off John the Baptist's head. And uh, that's about kind of the, the cultural, immoral sort of place where uh, Drusilla's coming from. And, and now with most power couples, right, there's a backstory and it's often ugly, um, but Drusilla was not, by the way. Drusilla was a beautiful woman. She was a beauty queen. When she was a toddler, her father, Agrippa I, had betrothed her to a man named Epiphanes. And so that when she came to age, she would marry this man for political reasons. But when she was six years old, Herod Agrippa I, at Acts chapter 12, died when he was eaten by worms before that marriage could take place. She was six years old, and they hated Herod, so they stormed his castle. They, they took out the women, and according to Josephus, they went into Herod's house and carried Drusilla and her sister into the brothels and abused them to the utmost of their power and did such things to them as too indecent to be related. Well, when Drusilla's brother, Herod Agrippa II, rose to power, she was given in marriage to this man named Azizus when she was 14 years old. 
And uh, again, a political ma- marriage to get some political power. But this man wasn't great in political power. He's like a mayor of a city. Um, marriage didn't last long because when Felix saw this beauty queen, he fell in love with her instantly, struck by her great beauty. And so Felix sent a longtime friend, his name was Simon, to Drusilla. And pretend, he, Simon pretended to be a magician. And he told Drusilla that she should forsake her present husband Marry the governor Felix, and here's the promise. He would make her a happy woman. That's what the promise was. And against all cultural norms, for Drusilla was a Drew, Drusilla was a Jew. Against all cultural norms, after years so of marriage with Azizus, I think that's his name, I say it, she divorced her husband and married Felix and became Felix's second wife. Now, I tried to determine whether Felix then divorced his wife, or whether they're married to two wives, I couldn't tell. Either could be possible for sure. But you need to know also that Drusilla's 20 years old at this time, and Felix is in his 50s. It's kind of like, ugh. The same story can be written about many power couples today, right? Older man marries this younger woman because she's marrying for power and he's marrying for lust. And, and that's what power couples are. They're filled with immorality and greed and lust and power, seeking flame and fret, fame and pleasure. And from what we know of Felix, seducing a man's wife, convincing her to divorce her, him and marry me, it's not outside the character of Felix. It's totally consistent with his character. See, Felix ruled people with an iron fist. I told you last week that when, whenever there was some sort of uh, uprising, he would always match it with cruelty. Right? Murder the leaders. Right? Go after them strongly. Imprison many. Torture many. But this was a couple that Paul came to speak with in our text this morning. A powerful man in his 50s, driven by lust and power and pleasure, who was married to a beautiful woman who was 22-year-old at the time in the prime of her beauty. And we read then in verse 24, After some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, you can only imagine how this came about. I imagine that, that Felix and Drusilla are, are in their palace thinking about plans for the evening. So, Drusilla, what, what do you want to do? And, and Drusilla's like, I don't know, Felix, what do you want to do? Have you ever had those discussions before, as husband and wife, right? Well, we should do something. What should we do? Like, Yvonne and I, when we want to do something, we often just get in the car and start driving down State Street, just kind of saying, well... And it seems like we always turn into Olive Garden. It's kind of what, what we do when we do that. It's not extremely often, but, but they were like, what are we going to do tonight? They, they couldn't order Uber Eats. There was no Netflix or the time to watch. So they did the next best thing. They brought in their own entertainment. Paul was in the prison in the basement of the palace, and so they brought the Apostle Paul. And Paul came to lodgings, and he began to speak, began to speak with them about faith in Christ. Now, what do you suppose he said? You think maybe he, he brought her a a gospel track, brought them, hey, can I just go over this track with you? Here, here, I, I got, why don't we just read it and go together, right? Meet Mr. Nice Guy. If good people go to heaven, he will be the first in line. You think, like, he may have done that. Uh, you think maybe he shared the Romans road with them? Hey, listen, Paul, or Felix and Drusilla, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God demonstrates His own love that while we're sinners, He, he died for us. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you call on the name of the Lord and be saved? You may have done that. Do you think maybe He shared some spiritual laws with Him? Hey, Felix and Drusilla, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Maybe ask Him some penetrating questions. Like if you would die tonight and stand before God, and He says, why should I let you into the kingdom? What, what would you say? He may have said that to them. 
Do you think he took the Ten Commandments to show them their sin and convict them of their sin and only then show them the need of a Savior? Go through and tell them how they're they're an adulterer and a thief and a a liar because they broke all these Ten Commandments and they need a Savior. Maybe he said that. Maybe he just told them, hey, your life is awful right now. Why don't you believe in Jesus? He'll make it better. Uh, Maybe put forth some theology like God is holy and we're sinful. We need a Savior, so believe in Jesus. Or maybe with a rhyme, right? Life is short, death is sure. Sin is the cause, so Christ is the cure. Come to Jesus. You think maybe he shared with them the gospel. It's as easy as AB3, ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus and commit your way to him. ABC, admit, believe, and commit. Wouldn't it be great if we knew what Paul spoke to them about? We talk about faith in Jesus. We do know. And it was none of those things. He spoke to them in verse 25. He spoke to them about this. He says, He reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment. This is my my second point. I'm going to talk about the preaching prisoner because that's who Paul was. He was the preaching prisoner housed in the prison in the basement of the palace. He came and preached them. Actually, it says in verse 25 that he reasoned with them. The NIV says he talked with them. The New American Standard says he discussed with them. Literally, he dialogued with them. Like back and forth a little bit. And that's what you do with a small group of people. right? If you're going to share the gospel, say with a couple or with a family or a person, don't, don't think that, hey, let's, let's go out to coffee. And then you sit to coffee and you sit down. The person sits down and you want to share the gospel with them. And then you talk for 40 minutes. Well, that's what Pastor Steve does on Sunday morning. He just talks with us for 40 minutes. Don't do that. Ask questions, dialogue, have a conversation, bring them along. Because that's what you do with a small group of people, right? You go back and forth, you ask questions, you give answers, you understand, you discern where people are and their understanding and their awareness, and you, you calculate and you talk about what is most important. As a pastor, I do this all the time. Whether it's people inside the church or outside the church, I talk with people, I often ask questions to see what it is they, they understand and what are they aware of. I, and, and if they know something or if they embrace something, I don't bore them by like pouring it on and just like preaching to the choir or just tell them things that they already know or already embrace. Rather, rather what I do is seek to understand right, what, what they don't know or how I might help them with something new or I, I speak with them about this or that. And I think that's exactly what Paul was doing with um, the time in the prison with uh, Felix and Drusilla. I mean, if, if ever they called him in to talk with them, right? Here it was, and, and, and they, they really figured out what it is that would be best for them. And I don't think Paul was in his prison, right? Thinking about, hmm, here I am in prison. I bet Felix and Drusilla are going to call me there. And so maybe let me write up this little sermon of what I'm going to talk about. I don't think he did that. I think he came quite unprepared, is what he did. And now surely Paul knew some things about them, he knew of Felix and how he ruled with an iron fist. In Acts chapter 24, verse 10, we looked at that last week, how he said, um, knowing for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I, I cheerfully make my defense. Paul knew his position, and religiously I'm sure Paul knew that Drusilla was Jewish. He certainly could have seen how scandalous their marriage was. You see this 50-year-old man and this 22-year-old beauty together. He could have put things together pretty quickly about that. But I think that he probably began a dialogue with them. And, and began to talk with them and, and push and press, see what they understood and see what they didn't and see what they lacked faith. And I think Paul discerned, you know what, I need to talk to him about three things. And maybe the first thing came up, 
And as they talked, maybe the second thing came up, and then the third thing came up. But it was just a natural conversation, I'm sure. But he he spoke to them about three things, righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. That's exactly what verse 25 says. And so that's exactly what Paul spoke to them about. He, He spoke to them about righteousness, the need to be righteous before a holy God and the consequences of not being righteous. He spoke about self-control, and that is the ability to govern your own behavior, how to hold yourself in. He spoke about the coming judgment, how we'll all need to give account to the Lord for our sin. And this judgment is actually sooner than we think it is, because it is coming. You think these things were pertinent to their lives? Righteousness, self-control, and judgment? I think they were right on. I think any power couple you think about today need to hear about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Just let's spend some time thinking about this three-part sermon that he spoke to them about, or dialogue with them. Righteousness. And, and, you know, maybe it didn't come about. He didn't say, oh, righteousness, here's what it is. Hey, do you guys understand what righteousness is? And Drusilla, being a Jew, may have quoted some passages, and they could have gone back and forth. And and he could have talked some things, but, but righteousness was about And they needed to hear about that. And people today need to hear about righteousness. We live in a society today that's all relative. Everything's relative, especially our our morality today. Our culture does not believe in absolute right or wrong. We live in a culture that basically says everybody's on their own quest for their own truth. But really, nothing could be further from the truth. Righteousness is what God is. It's an absolute character and quality of God. Psalm 11, verse 7, The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. See, God is righteous, and in order to see him, you need to be upright. You as well need to be righteous. And too often people think today, you can live whatever you want, however you want, and God's going to love you because he's a forgiving God, and that's his job is to love us and forgive us. Right? Relativizing his righteousness. Because the Lord is righteous, you need to be righteous. And so probably talking there with Jusilla and Felix, probably talking about, you know, you know the righteousness of God, the righteous standard of God. Have you read like maybe Psalm 15, like we read today, Brian did? Oh Lord, who shall stand on your holy hill? Who shall soldier into your tent? Right? Have you ever considered who, who's going to walk and be in the presence of God? David answers a question. He walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. You want to stand before God, you need to do what's right. You need to speak truth in your heart. See, God is righteous, perfect in all His ways, and to stand before Him, you need to be blameless. I mentioned last week how I'm working to memorize the New City Catechism, and uh, had several children come up and say, I'm memorizing that catechism too. Wonderful. You can join me as well. Uh, here's, here's a question. It says, question seven maybe or something like that. It says, what does the law of God require? Personal, perfect and perpetual obedience. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What God forbids should never be done. What God commands should always be done. There's the answer to the question. What does the law of God require? That's what righteousness needs, means. Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. And down in your heart, you know, I'm not keeping personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. You know that you failed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know that you have failed to love your neighbor as yourself. You know that you often do many things that God forbids, and you know that you don't do many things that God commands. 
Well, that's the whole purpose of a law, to show your sin. But that's what righteousness is. That's what righteousness requires. In light of righteousness of God, we are all condemned. And I'm sure in talking about righteousness, he tried to, like, Paul tried to, like, stick his finger in these guys. Like, you need to, Felix, you need to have righteousness. How, how are you guys doing? Are you convicted by that at all? And then he spoke to them about faith in Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ came to fulfill God's righteousness. He died on the cross in our place that we believe in him and God counts it to us as righteousness. Drusilla, you're a Jew. Right? Do you remember that covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15? It's verse 6 where he says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Right? There he is, he's believing God and God is considering it to be righteousness. So here, you need to believe and trust in Jesus if ever you're going to know righteousness. That's what faith in Christ Jesus does for us. It gives us the righteousness that we need so deeply. Felix and Drusilla, Drusilla, do you have that? But that's not all he talked about. He also talked about self-control. Now, self-control and righteousness are, are, are both sort of the same thing, but righteousness would be this big, broad category of what we need to do to stand before God. And self-control would be like, like one area of righteousness. And, and he's just drilling right down there on this self-control. Um, self-control, as the word suggests, the ability to control yourself. Literally, the Greek is to hold yourself in. In krato, like in strength, right? You've got yourself in strength. Self-control regulates your speech and conduct. Self-control keeps your emotions in check. So you don't erupt in anger with sinful outbursts from your mouth. Self-control tempers your passions. So you live honorably before God and before others. And, and, and as Paul spoke of self-control, I'm sure that Felix and Drusilla were, were squirming in their seats. They're like, oh, self-control... Because their lives were anything but a life of self-control. They were controlled by their passions and their lusts and their desires like most power couples in our society today. The foundation of their marriage was based on a lack of self-control. Felix was so obsessed and controlled by Drusilla's beauty that he seduced her to divorce her her husband and to marry him. And Drusilla was a willing participant. She was driven by lust and power to be more prominent than ever before. And again, against all principle, against the law of God, she jettisoned her husband, married Felix, a man 30 years older than she was. And beyond his marriage, Felix covered the nation with a little self-control. Whenever there's an uprising, right, he would fume and lash out with military power, no negotiations, no reasonings, just fury poured out upon the people. It's like he's... He doesn't have self-control. He just gets so angry. People today need to hear about self-control. I mean, you can think about the rich and famous and their lives are governed by self, uh, not having self-control, governed by their past. Think about yourself. Can you control your eating habits? I've been struggling with that. Do you not control your tongue? Do you not control your attitudes toward others? Are you social media addiction? Can you control where you click on the internet? Do you have self-control? Again, that's where faith in Christ Jesus comes in. The the only hope that we have of overcoming our self-control is that the fruit of the Spirit would work in us to give us the self-control. So it's it's like he's talking about righteousness, not just merely external righteousness, Felix and Drusilla. There's also this internal, right, controlling of them, and that will only come with the Holy Spirit as he comes to help you control your passions rather than let them control you. Well, finally... Paul spoke to Felix and Drusilla about the coming judgment. We see that again in verse 25. And he reasoned 
about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Do you realize Jesus talked about the coming judgment? Do you realize that the apostles talked about the coming judgment? Uh, Do you realize that Jesus even told the apostles to preach about the coming judgment? In Acts chapter 10, when Peter was preaching to Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. When Paul's on the Areopagus, that's how he closed his sermon. Is that God is now declaring to all men everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness through a man, having furnished proof that this is the judge by raising him from the dead. Do you realize that Moses spoke about the coming judgment? You realize that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel spoke about the coming judgment? In fact, I, I didn't do an exhaustive search, but I would contend, you can test me afterwards, I would contend that every book in the Bible speaks about the coming judgment. That's a fundamental truth in all the Bible, is that God has created us, and we are His creation. As such, we will give account of how we live to Him. This is no fringe doctrine in the Bible. It's the heart of our faith. And it's the heart even what will help people be convicted of their sins. And we will be judged by the Lord someday, whether it's upon our death or, or when He comes And either of those things may happen sooner than you think. It has been interesting in the Brandon home, and Gary alluded to this recently, I've I've pushed out things to the weekly word. You've all seen them, but it's good for us to be reminded of that. We've had some untimely deaths of young people who our kids were friends with. I mean, here's here's the first one. This is is Ryan Sherman. He and Steffi, Steffi was, I'm not sure, 10 years old maybe? I don't know, Ryan was 8? You know when exactly, 12? Steffi was 12 and Ryan was 10, 8. But they were Jane and Michael Banks. And uh, Steffi was older than Ryan and kind of took this very sisterly approach with him to kind of help him along. And that formed a real special relationship that they had. And um, you didn't see him often, been several years. But whenever they did, it was sort of like, oh, you're kind of like my little brother. And of course, you know, that was, picture was taken eight, ten years ago or so, and uh, Ryan was killed a few weeks ago driving Shaw Road or Olson Road or somewhere on his way to school. The coming judgment. Ryan stood before his maker a lot sooner than Ryan ever thought he was going to stand before his maker. And then also I've told you about these people. These are your close friends. Now, I, I don't know. I recognize three of them. There's Solomon on the left and Andrea. Um, there's also, uh, her name is Ava, I think, and then Maggie and Susie. And uh, Steffi was closest with uh, Maggie. It's a second from the right. They went on a spring break trip, four of them. Steffi and Brooke and Maggie and who? Tori. I, I don't remember Tori. I remember Brooke. We had dinner with Brooke and with Maggie was like best buds for a whole year. Close together, best buds. Killed in the car accident less than a week ago. Last Sunday night. Crashed head on with a semi truck. Died instantly. And these were followers of Christ. These kids love Jesus. And they face the coming judgment 
a lot sooner than they ever expected. It is surreal to see some of the pictures, Hannah, you shared, and the movies and the videos of of just these kids alive and well, but not even thinking about the coming judgment. And what took place with these young people these recent days could happen to any of us. Tonight. Next week, next month. Any of us could meet the coming judgment just as quickly as as them. And the only chance you're going to have to get out of that judgment is by having faith in Jesus. That's the only way you're going to conquer the judgment. Not because of your righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. You say, Steve, you've been pretty strong this morning, right? Why are you talking about such things? I'm talking about such things because Paul was talking about such things with Felix and Drusilla. He discerned these were the issues in their lives. Righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And I would contend that these are sufficient issues for us as well. These are sufficient issues for you even to speak with your social circle when you have an opportunity to speak about faith in Jesus. You said, if, if you have a chance to speak with someone and, and God kind of opened a door and you're like, oh, what am I going to talk about? Remember, talk about maybe righteousness and self-control and judgment. Maybe those would be good. If it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for you. Well, look at how they responded. As he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Felix didn't like what this prisoner was saying to him. So he sent him back to the barracks with the promise, well, maybe I'll call you back again. But Felix and Drusilla needed to hear this message. And, and from everything we can tell, they didn't believe. They didn't, they didn't trust. But they needed to hear this message because about 20 years after Paul spoke with them, Drusilla was with, his son in, with her son in Pompeii. Pompeii is like a, a vacation spot. Think maybe Hawaii. Think maybe some place where the rich and famous go and sit on the beach or just enjoy the, the nice weather there in Pompeii. They were going to enjoy some rest and relaxation. And while they were there, Mount Vesuvius erupted, engulfed the city with lava, and basically killed almost everyone in the city, including Drusilla and her son. She was in her early 40s when that happened. We'd consider it a tragedy, right? except we've seen these tragedies of, of really young people, 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds, but when a 40-year-old dies in an accident of some type, the world takes notice and says that's, that's tragic when that happens. That one would die so young, especially one so beautiful as Drusilla. But Felix and Drusilla needed to hear Paul's message to them, that, that they would give an account to the Lord, the coming judgment That God's judgment was coming upon them and they needed to turn from their life of wickedness, which was clear and obvious. They failed in their righteous standard. They they failed to keep self-control. Everything in their life was was one of debauchery and pride and lust. They were living for the world. They weren't following after the ways of the Lord, but they needed to follow after the ways of the Lord before they died or before the Lord came again. And sadly, from everything we know in history, they didn't respond. Neither of them responded to the preaching of this prisoner Though Felix even had, Acts chapter 24, verse 22, he had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. That is, he had, a, he had a pretty good knowledge of Christianity, but he didn't take heed. And there are lots of people today who pretty much know about Christianity, but they don't take heed to it. Like, oh, somewhere down the line, maybe, maybe later I'll repent. I'm too much enjoying the world right now. 
later never comes. And Drusilla, she was Jewish. She would knowledgeable of Scripture. She would have known these passages maybe that Paul spoke to her about. Psalm 11 or Psalm 15 or others that speak about God's righteousness. is all over the Bible. But she didn't take heed to Paul's warnings. And Paul didn't merely visit Felix and Drusilla just this once. No, verse 26, it seems he spoke on many occasions. Verse 26, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. This is what I'm calling the constant conversation. See, Paul was no stranger to the palace. For some reason, Felix took a liking to Paul. He summoned him often to converse. Um, the King James says commune, right? They, they would commune together. That is, like, they were constant companions. They, they talked enough with each other that each of them knew each other very well, talking with familiarity. And, and, and I don't think Paul ever backed down from his message of righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. I, I do think, as he was there for two years, I don't think that's the only thing he talked about. But he could have talked about, other, about many, many other topics. Whether that's lust, or whether that's greed, or whether that's pride, or whether that's lying. I mean, he could have talked about anything. He could have talked about the Ten Commandments. And I'm sure that he went over these things again. But always with an aim to pierce him like these topics of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And I say he didn't back down because verse 27 says that he spoke with him for about two years. Um, but Paul was never let go. And in verse 26, we see that, that Felix had another motive for bringing Paul to him. Not, not only, I think, I think he enjoyed listening to Paul, sort of, kind of. Like there was this love-hate relationship there probably, but, um, but he was looking for a bribe. Look at verse 26. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. He talked to him, and, and I think what was happening was that Felix would talk with Paul about maybe raising money for a bribe. You want out of here, Paul? Listen, I know you're a leader of this Christianity group, and you got a lot of, a lot of followers. Boy, when, when you came to Jerusalem, you had a lot of money that you gave to a lot of people. You have a lot of money. If, if you just do a little bit of fundraising, get some money, we can get you out of this prison. I don't think you, you want to be here. Um, that's what Felix would tell Paul. And Paul, though, would tell Felix about the dangers of Felix's own soul. Well, uh, I, I can't do that. Felix, your soul is in danger of this coming judgment. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to trust in Jesus. And they went back and forth. Then he'd go away. Hey, Paul, have you raised any money yet? No. Felix, have you repented yet? They probably had this friendly banter back and forth that was, was going on. But in some regards, I don't think Felix so minded hearing these things. I guess my guess is that he appreciated the boldness and conviction of Paul, who really believed these things. I'm reminded of the story of, of Benjamin Franklin, no friend to Christianity, one who was really a devout atheist, maybe a deist, whatever, but resisted the, the claims of Christianity. But he had a favorite preacher he loved to pre- listen to. Remember who that was? It was George Whitfield, and he listened to him often. In fact, um, Benjamin Franklin wrote that he listened to him so often that as he heard Whitfield preach, he could tell the difference between a, a sermon that he wrote fresh and gave for the first time or a sermon that he had been preaching several times on the circuit by the, by the time he got back because he, he could see the refinement in the sermon of going so many places and coming back. And thus he said the advantage that an itinerant preacher has, they could just have one message they preach so much, but a regular pastor has a disadvantage because everything's new all the time is what he said. But I remember the story. I'm not sure if this is true or not. It illustrates the point, though. But Benjamin Franklin was confronted. Well, why do you listen to him? You don't believe what he says. 
And Benjamin Franklin replied, I know, but he does. And I fear there are many across the land who come in to churches week in, week out, not because they believe, but because they can discern that the one preaching believes. And that can be very interesting and very entertaining. In fact, very encouraging as well, even if you don't believe. Sadly, the more gifted the preacher, the more interesting, perhaps the more people who come because someone has something interesting to say and they, they say it in an interesting way and they really believe this stuff. I don't, I don't, but it's, he's, he's a good speaker. I like to listen to what he says. And that's you this morning. I, I'm honored you can discern any faith in me, but you need to believe yourself, right? Felix needed to believe for himself, not just hear someone who did believe, right? Because Paul's faith wasn't going to transfer to Felix. It's not how it works. My faith doesn't transfer to you. You need to have faith in Christ Jesus. Do you? Do you embrace these things? How about this? Are you speaking with others about faith in Christ? Maybe that's a demonstration whether you really believe, because what you really believe, you're going to speak about. Are you speaking? Are you talking to others about Jesus? That's not just the pastor's job. Do you have a heart to tell people about faith in Christ Jesus. All right, I want to just step back from the story just a little bit with a few closing observations before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. First observation is Paul talked with Felix for, for two years. What an opportunity Felix had to repent. Two years with the Apostle Paul. The man who wrote Romans... The man who wrote a fourth of the New Testament, the man who changed the world, able to talk with him on a regular basis for several years. How accountable will Felix be in the day of judgment? The greatest evangelist who ever lived, except Jesus, whatever. But Paul led more people to faith probably than Jesus did, by the way. But here it is. Greatest evangelist right before you. Personal evangelism for two years. What did you do with that, Felix? Second observation, Paul didn't have the power to convert Felix. Think about that. Two years of constant dialogue, constant explaining. It wasn't enough to see Felix bow the knee to Christ. So I just say this, be encouraged. Do you have long-term evangelistic relationships with people? Like, like, like people who don't know Jesus, but who, who you love and you care for? Right? Be careful of viewing people outside the church or outside the faith as projects. Don't treat people as projects. Treat people as those who you love, who, who you like being with, who, who, who are lost and who need to be saved. But it's not your project to, pre, to, to convert them. It's, it's, it's your desire to love them, to see what's best with them. But think about how often Paul spoke with Felix about faith in Christ, and he, he never believed. And So is Paul a bad evangelist? Because Felix never believed? Paul, you're terrible. Where are your converts, Paul? Felix, what about you? Two whole years. Where are your converts? You got one-on-one discipleship with this guy, and he still doesn't believe. You're a failure, Paul. I said, no, he wasn't a failure, and neither are you when you merely speak forth and put forth and compel people to believe in Jesus. So, So don't be discouraged when people around you don't believe. See, it's only God who can change the heart. And trust that as you love people and demonstrate yourself to be different and one who genuinely loves Christ and the blessing that's come out of that, 
you trust that, that God will change their heart. A third observation, right? Paul submitted himself to the will of God. Can, can you imagine the struggles that Paul had with Felix? Right? All that Paul had to do was write one letter. Um, hey, you know what? I, can, I see there's a great evangelistic opportunity that uh, is, is, is whatever, Thessalonica. And if you just give me some money, Felix says, I can just pay him some money and I get out and I go in that evangelistic opportunity in Thessalonica. Paul could have had a bribe and got out of there. Can you think about all the good that Paul thought he could have done? Think about two years in prison. He could go on missionary journeys. He could share the gospel with crowds. He could see lots of people believe. But that wasn't God's plan for him. God's plan was for him was to sit two years in a prison and have this failed, quote-unquote, evangelistic relationship with Felix. Paul could have compromised his message. He could have, you know, become more chummy-chummy with Felix and then just kind of laughed and whatever, more personal evangelism and, you know, maybe I'm going to woo him in some ways. I, I think that Paul was direct as could be, though, because he knew that that's the only way to speak on such topics as righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And, and I say, we, we don't need to soft-pedal anything. Paul didn't feel his need to soft-pedal anything, right? Speaking about faith in Christ Jesus. And so as you speak to your loved ones, you speak to your friends, those outside of Christ... God's plan for you is best. Don't think you need to get out of that. Don't think you need to compromise the message. Just be bold like Paul was. And just bring forth a message. Talk to them. Discern what is their besetting sins. Or how can you convict them of sin? How can you show them of Jesus of a Savior? Work on those sorts of things. And trust in God's will for your life. Well, fourth point, and this is going to be really, really short. We see the power couple... Felix and Drusilla had the whole world by their, by their tails, but by their hands, whatever, had, had the world at their hands, but were lost. We had this preaching prisoner, that's Paul, a prisoner, but coming in to, to preach to these guys, the constant conversations for over two years, and finally we see the political correctness. Things never change. And two years it elapsed, verse 27, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is raw political correctness. Right? Felix wasn't wanting to rock the boat. He knew Paul was innocent. He knew Paul, like after two years, he certainly knew enough about Christianity, enough about what happened in the temple, enough about everything that happened with Paul. He knew that Paul was innocent, but to take him out might, might stir the boat a little bit. So just to make the easiest could be, let's uh, just leave Paul in prison until he was out of power. And in fact, even when he transferred power to Portius Festus, um, he just left him in. Times don't change. There's always political pressure around of what people say and what they do. Well, there's Paul speaking about faith in Christ Jesus. And now we get to celebrate what faith in Christ Jesus is. It's, a, it's the Lord's Supper. Now, the, the Lord's Supper isn't, isn't for the pastor to give to everyone and you just because of my faith we all get it. No, it's if you are believing and trusting in Jesus, this is for you. This is an opportunity for you to say, yes, I'm believing and trusting in Jesus. Not, not like Festus and Drusilla who said, no, that's, that's not for me. But no, this is an opportunity for you to say, you know, I'm trusting in Christ for my righteousness. I'm trusting in Him alone. As we think about, we remember Christ upon the cross crucified for our sins. So hear the gospel fresh for the first time, that, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he raised again according to our scriptures. 
And he raised and he appeared bodily to so many people. He did really rise again. And that's what we profess as we eat the bread and drink the cup because Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As we remember Jesus, we get to remember him in this way. It's a unique way. We normally remember him with our our songs or our singing or our hearing or reading the scriptures, but here we get to remember him with our taste. Eating the bread and drinking the cup, remembering him. Opportunity again for you to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not trusting in myself, I'm trusting entirely in you. So let's pray. Father, I would pray that you would commune with us as we seek to commune with you. Remembering your death, burial, and resurrection. Remembering all you did for us 2,000 years ago upon the cross of Christ. God, what a, what a glorious event of history that was, which should be our all and everything and Father, I pray that you would just stir us afresh as we think and remember about all that you did for us at Calvary. And that we're believing and trusting in you with all of our hearts. God, knowing that we can't stand before you with our own righteousness. But we can stand before you in Christ's righteousness. And that's what we rejoice. And, and, and so even this morning, right, if you have sin that's unconfessed, just confess it to the Lord and just say, Lord, I've, I've failed. I've failed in self-control. I've failed to walk in righteousness. I've I pursued my own lusts and passions and desires. Well, just confess them. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. So come to him who will give you rest. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.